I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history... We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. On the 1st of September, 1939, Hitler's armies invaded Poland. On the 17th of September, the Soviets invaded too. Poland fought but she was no match for the combined might of the world's biggest military machines. Poland fell. By the middle of October, the country had been annexed and divided. In territory claimed in the name of Germany, the Nazis moved in and began a programme of ethnic cleansing. Those who resisted or tried to leave the country to join the Free Army were rounded up. Approximately 20,000 Poles were executed. Others were tortured. They were deported, they disappeared. Yet more were imprisoned. In Tarnov, 728 men were incarcerated. Only a handful of them were Jewish. The Nazis indiscriminately hated everyone who threatened their warped ideology. The eldest of these men was 64 years old. The youngest, just 14. In June 1940, the fate of these men was to become intertwined with a place that has come to represent the very worst that humanity can inflict on itself. We can do no better justice for them than to let them tell you what happened next in their own eloquent words. Life in prison here was full of discussions, news about the political situation and our own predicament, which seemed hopeless. Tarnow was the central point for collecting prisoners from all over Poland. Most were political prisoners, or escapees. I discovered that anyone who had been in possession of a weapon was selected to be shot. My time in Tarnow gave me a chance to recover from the interrogations I had been through. I was still in pretty bad shape, having lost my front teeth. The prison in Tarnow gave us a gloomy impression, with wire, netting and many gates. We were put into a communal cell, but the upside was that there were no more interrogations. There was little food and it was bad. I was always hungry. In Tarno, before I was included into the first transport, I was so weakened by lack of food that I barely kept myself up on my feet. Weakened by hunger, we would lie motionless on our bunks for hours our eyes fixed on a single point on the ceiling, seemingly without a thought in our heads. For us young ones, it was a horrid time. We didn't believe that we could survive anything worse. Our cell was not very big. 
we slept on straw mattresses that were tightly arranged, one next to the other on the floor. In the morning, we piled the mattresses against one of the walls, and in twos we would walk around the available floor space. The windows were covered from the outside, but whilst walking you could get a glimpse of the outside. The prison was overcrowded. In a six-man cell you would find twenty people. We used the water in the toilet to wash. We could not wash any clothes, and we looked dirty. Prisoners were not allowed to get close to the windows. If any faces appeared, the guards would shoot at them. On the 12th of June, we received the message. Tapped out on the water pipes in Morse code. We are leaving tomorrow. On the 13th of June, just after midday, there was a lot of commotion in the prison. The surnames of the prisoners were read out, and they had to walk out in the front of their cells. In the afternoon, the SS men burst in and yelled, Alessandretten, Alessandretten, and the prisoners were chased into the courtyard. We were taken, by truck, to a michva, ritual Jewish bath, in a synagogue, in Tarno, where 728 of us were gathered and then bathed in a five-by-five five pool. We were bathed in groups. When one group finished bathing, the next one was given food sent by the Red Cross. It consisted of gruel and a large amount of meat. Apart from that, every prisoner was given tasty bread. In the morning, ladies from the committee distributed white coffee and bread for breakfast. Early morning after coffee, the guards yelled, Alez! And we were lined up in rows of five and marched through the streets of Tarnov. Tarnov fell silent. The Gestapo issued an order to civilians that on pain of death, there was a total ban on leaving their homes or looking out of their windows. The streets were deserted and empty. There was a dull pounding of a marching column in a gloomy silence. The convoy consisted of police with guns and fixed bayonets, ready to shoot. I did not see anyone on the streets. During the march, a window opened on the second floor of one of the houses, and a hand waved at the prisoners. Maybe it was a relative waving goodbye. One of the guards shot at the window. One of the mothers of a prisoner tried to get to her son. They would not let her. Both were in tears. Boarding the train was relatively calm, without shouting and beatings. At the train station in Tarno, we were loaded into passenger carriages. We sat in specific sections guarded by the escort. We weren't allowed to open the windows. On the train there were eight to ten men in each section and four to five prisoners on each bench. In my row there was a boy from Tarno who saw his mother through the window. He began to scream. On the train next to me, next to the window, sat a young boy. To my surprise he began to cry hysterically. He began to pull out his hair and banged his head on the wooden sideboard. An SS man ran up to him to calm him down, with two hits from his rifle butt. I later found out during the journey that he saw his mother, and she saw him through the window. In the wagons, the boys held very quiet discussions with a recurring theme. Where are we going? On the way to Krakow, there was a shot fired. Someone escaped. It could have been one of the Sneezek brothers. The sight of Krakow's ancient towers moved me deeply. It was barely half a year since Miatek. My brother and I had left the city. 
and yet so much had happened in our lives since then. If only Mother had known that only a few streets separated her from her sons. The train arrived in Krakow station. Krakow greeted the transport with the herald from the Mariaki church. It was a good omen. The train slowly passed the platforms. A multitude of silent people stared at the transport. From the speakers blared out German army marches. The prisoners stared out at the windows. Our dumbfounded eyes were hit with a giant white sign with a red background. Paris Genomen, Paris conquered. There was silence in the wagons with ashen, crestfallen faces and hearts. For us, this was devastating news. The whole Polish nation had believed in France's military might. What was now to become of the newly formed Polish army? Out of curiosity and fear, we looked out of the window. There was an array of SS men on the platform. They were slapping each other on the back, smiling and happy. They were shooting their pistols into the air. The whole station was festooned with swastikas. There was excitement and undisguised rejoicing among the Germans. From the loudspeakers came the blare of military music and strident speeches. Victory! Paris has fallen! It was June of 1940. We travelled on. Our mood was subdued, not surprising with news like that. Our German escorts, on the other hand, were bursting with delight. We waited a long time at the border, between the general government and the Reich. There was now no doubt in our minds that we were being sent to work in Germany. We continued our journey. Next, we stopped at what, judging from the number of trucks on either side of the train, must be a major station. The name of the place, written in large letters on the station building, is Auschwitz. Someone explained that this is Oswiecim, some dump or other. In Oswiecim, after standing for a little while, the transport was diverted onto a side track that led to the old Monopoly tobacco warehouse. Train moved forward very slowly, sometimes stopping. The locomotive could not pull so many wagons. The tracks were neglected and overgrown. The train was now turning in a huge arc past some army barracks, then some tall buildings, before abruptly grinding to a halt. Through the train window you could see along the tracks. SS men were standing with their machine guns. When the train stopped, the doors of the wagons were opened. And with the guards shouting, Raus, Raus, Schweinenhund, using guns, beating us, we were directed towards the front of a big building, surrounded by barbed wire and SS watchtowers. The wagons were cleared out quickly. Up until this point, the Gestapo and Schupo turned into crazy beasts. They herded us, bit, and kicked the slow moving, especially the elderly and priests. Beaten, pushed, and terrified by the SS men yelling at us, we rushed like a flock of panicking sheep through the open gate. We also noticed a group of people dressed in well-cut blue and white striped uniforms and sailor caps. We were just wondering from where and when a bunch of sailors had turned up here, when at the command of one of the officers, they swiftly did an about turn and headed towards us. We now saw their suntan faces, their sadistically taunt lips, and the spiteful glint in their eyes, all of which bode no good. 
Apparently the sailors were prisoners too. With the help of those in pyjamas, the Germans lined us up. One of the SS men climbed up onto a stool with the list in hand and he began to read off last names. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When your name is called, you had to loudly shout, Here! and run to the other side of the large yard. After Fritz's roll call, he made a speech. You are in a concentration camp, where your responsibility is to abide by all orders given and be overall obedient. You are required to work. This work serves to teach you order and absolute rigour. There are no sick here. There are only the living or the dead. No complaints will be accepted. I thought to myself that I survived a few weeks in prison, Therefore, I can easily survive these few weeks in the camp. But when I found out what role the camp crematorium was to play, it was at that moment that all my hopes of returning home died. At the gate, one of the carpos stood with the club, a thickness of a table leg. Everyone was hit whenever the club landed, except for when this thug gained momentum and had the club lowered. I was 13th, ended up at the start of a swing. In front of the Monopoly building, a certain prisoner was organising us. He was a German, and he was very sincere, kind, helpful, and persuasive. This was a huge experience. It is hard to imagine that in this place, under such conditions, a person like this existed, a person who treated the prisoners humanely. His name, Kusel. Those who were chosen went down into the basement of the building, the rest behind them. Registration took place at three tables, Numbers up to 250 and 500 and above. At the tables, we had our personal details recorded and every prisoner received a camp number. This was now to become his name and surname that he had to learn by heart. At the beginning, we would joke with each other when we saw one another and asked, you know, what's your surname? Number 700 something in your surname? Number so-and-so? We joked about the numbers. No one knew where they were. Nobody expected what sort of camp it would be. In these conditions, it was getting dark. I too stood in front of the clerk that started writing down my personal information. A certain delay happened when I was asked for my profession. I answered honestly that I was a student and in 1939 I had finished high school. This answer didn't satisfy the clerk, so... He asked the same question in a different way. 
the question was, what could I actually do? Not being able to think of an answer, I said I could draw and paint. My answer interested the SS man standing nearby, and he decided that I was to have pencil and paper to do a portrait of him. With shaking hands, I took the pencil and began to draw. Now, I must warn you that while attending high school, I drew portraits successfully. When I started the portrait, I calmed down. And with quick strokes, I tried to show not only the characteristics of his face, but important details of his uniform, such as his hat with the skull and bones. The result of my actions must have been satisfactory, because the SS man praised my drawing. That is how I was registered as an artist, a painter, Kunstmaler. The other SS men who were present looked at the portrait with approval. Next, we were told to undress. One of the German capo noticed a pendant on my chest. He tore it off of the chain, giving me kick in a groin. They took away our baggage, bundles and other items. Everyone gave up food that was provided by our families. My mother also gave me provisions at the prison. After arriving at camp we had a hair cut, but we were allowed to wear civilian clothing. During registration on the day we arrived, I collected registered packages from my friends with their personal belongings and their clothing that they had brought with them. We pinned their numbers that they had received at registration to each package. This was the first warehouse with personal belongings, a Fechtenkammer. We don't recognize each other in our new dress. A guy from Warsaw with no hair looks like a mannequin. You lose your identity. We are just numbers. After shaving and bathing, about 30 people bathed under one week pressured shower. We were chased to big halls. At the beginning there was great confusion. I remember the entrance of the barracks was very narrow. Among us there were a lot of young boys. When the Germans were forcing us into the barracks it caused havoc. The youngest of us, physically capable, were always at the doors faster than the older ones at the back. Screams. Groans. Curses. At last the door to save me. Suddenly, I am catapulted along a short corridor, only to get my foot caught in some unexpected stairs. People fall on top of me, and from somewhere, blows keep raining down on us. As fast as we can get to our feet, we race up the stairs. I am utterly out of breath, but with one final leap, I reach the last step. There is a huge carpo standing right across the corridor, his legs wide apart. His blows are aimed with the skill of an expert. My ears ringing and my mouth, the taste of blood. Why not admit it? Also tears in my eyes. Summoning my last strength, I run into the large room. We were packed in like sardines, on straw, which made it difficult to turn during the night. I was close to my brother and friends. Speaking was forbidden. For every little thing, we were beaten by the German criminals which created an atmosphere of panic and a fear of doing wrong without meaning to. In the early hours, I was awoken by the noise of prisoners crowding in the corridor around a tin bucket that was already brimming. 
A single bucket was totally inadequate for the needs of so many people. And that was why after midnight the room commandants had put out guards to deny access to it. Desperate prisoners, some of the ailing, were forced to relieve themselves into their shoes and boots. In the night, even though we were banned from doing so, one of the prisoners, because it's hot and stuffy, opened a window. One of the SS men on duty in the guard tower shot towards the open window, waking us up and causing panic. We were laying side by side, and I remember from this time the visits by SS Pelich. He chased us through the rooms in clouds of dust from the straw beds. In the night, the SS men came in, beat us and shot their guns into the ceiling. We had just arrived and did not realise how awful the place would become or the millions of murders that would be committed there. After these preliminaries had taken away any hope of saving our lives, we started our existence in that hell on earth created by the sadism of Hitler. Of 728 men and boys, only 325 are known to have survived their time at Auschwitz. My great-uncle, Leonie Pensky, was prisoner number 555. He did not survive. We will remember them. Benjamin Onyik Pamiętacz.